Xgrowth has helped B2B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda from Xgrowth, and I'm talking to Scott Albro, co-founder and CEO at Goldie today, about how AI can change the B2B landscape, what should B2B sales reps and marketers keep a close eye on, and what is the best way to incorporate AI in what you do. On that note, let's dive in. Scott, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Shaheen. It's great to be here, and thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I want to jump in and talk about where we are with AI and how does the landscape look like? One of the things that in, in the past conversation you've, just, you've talked about is the AI hype cycle. Can you give us a little bit of an idea, in, in your opinion, where we are with, with AI as a, as a vertical, as a sector, um, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, ha- happy to actually. So I think most people who are listening are familiar with uh, Gartner, the the research and advisory firm, and I think you know Gartner does a lot of different things, but one of the more powerful things they do is they publish these things that they call hype cycles for different technologies. And the way to think about a hype cycle is we we go through four different phases, if you will in a hype cycle. So actually, before you even get to those phases, there's this thing that Gartner calls the innovation trigger, which you can kind of think of as like, you know, the the Cambrian explosion of a new technology, like a new technology emerges, like, like AI, for example. And then the Gartner um, hype cycle basically takes you through these four phases. And I'll try and show them on the screen with my finger, but like, Basically, you go through this first phase, which is called the peak of inflated expectations. And so that's like there are very high expectations for this new technology. A lot of people are really excited about it. There's just kind of a lot of hype around the, the new technology. And so that goes up like this. And then the second phase, we go through this thing that we call the trough of disillusionment, which is a great, like whoever coined that phrase <laughs> deserves like a, uh, I don't know, some literary award, because that's really good. So so anyway, you go up and then you go down into the trough of illusionment, disillusionment, and then you go through this thing called the slope of enlightenment. And the slope of enlightenment is kind of this, you know, this gradual growth that happens over some period of time. And, and, it, and it's, it's not like the peak of inflated expectations. It's, it's very gradual growth and adoption. 
And then finally, we get to the plateau of productivity where the technology is now mature and people are using it on a daily basis, right? Like an, an example of something that's in the plateau of productivity in the world of, you know, sales and marketing technology is something like your CRM or marketing automation or something like that. And so AI is obviously not at the plateau of productivity. It's not even at the you know, slope of enlightenment yet. I, I feel like we've gone through this really compressed sort of rapid fire first phase around the peak of inflated expectations. And a lot of that has to do with how quickly chat GPT was adopted. You know, everyone all of a sudden within, it's easy to forget this, but like earlier this year, within the span of, you know, call it 30 to 60 days, everyone knew what chat GPT was. You were experimenting with it. Everyone was using it. And so in a way that sort of feels like the, the top, right? If you will. And the peak, the true peak of inflated expectations. Now it feels like we're starting to come down the other side into the trough of disillusionment. And I think there are a few things that are driving that. And some of them are very specific to B2B sales and marketing. But the, the primary thing is I think a lot of people are realizing that GPT and other large language models that, play, you know, that sort of dominate the generative AI space now, a lot of people are realizing they still make mistakes they're not good at generating really original insights or content or thought. And, and I think they're realizing that some of these things are just toys, right? They're not ready for like mission critical adoption yet. And so I think we're, we're still close to the top, but we're sort of sliding to down the other side now. And we've got a lot of work to do as an industry to, you know, get us onto that that slope of enlightenment, if you will, where you know we get out of the trough of disillusionment, and we can talk about what some of that work is. But you know, one of the things I keep telling our customers and, and folks in the industry is like, you know, we have work to do to make sure that these large language models and generative AI aren't just toys; that they can actually be used for mission critical applications and use cases in a B two B setting. And let me just give you one example of this. So you can ask G chat GPT, doesn't matter whether you use chat GPT or, or a different version. You can ask GPT a question, like let, let's say you're a salesperson and you're prospecting into a mid-sized publicly traded enterprise um, and you wanna know who the CEO of that company is. And you ask GPT, who is the CEO of company XYZ? There's a like non-statistically uh, insignificant, well, that was a double negative. There's a, there's a reasonable probability that GPT will get the answer to that question wrong. Now, if you're writing like a high school essay and you're sort of cheating by using GPT, maybe that's okay, right? Or maybe that's not okay. In a B2B setting, if you get that wrong, that's a, that's a real problem. And so um, that's, an, that's an example of something that's a toy as opposed to like a mission critical application that B2B professionals can really depend upon. And that's a, that's a simple, straightforward example. There are more complex examples out there than that one. That's fantastic. And, and I think that's, that's such a great point. You're right. ChatGPT became this uh, savior of anything that you do. And, uh, and it was going to replace everything and 
oh, our jobs are going to be replaced. And that was that was the conversation six months ago, right? Of like, how how is it going to replace us? And then it's barely mentioned now in uh, six, six months down, down the line. And I think it was the case with a lot of things, that, just like you said, blockchain or clubhouse or, or anything of, of that sort that kind of went through that very fast phase. Well, it's 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 really interesting to kind of hear your thoughts on this because obviously a lot of people who are in the AI space are in the other field where it's like no no, no this is going to be great it's changing everything it's um completely like you could do everything with it and uh, and and you're taking the approach that we've got to be a little bit more cautious we've got to be a little bit more careful in terms of in terms of how we use it what are the go-to-market motion or areas that you think AI can be extremely useful maybe maybe now or maybe in the very near future yeah so the way that i think of the the way i tend to think about this is i i i start with this kind of model of like what are the things that ai is either already good at or should be good at and what are the things that people are already good at right and I, I call these things that people are already good at uniquely human skills, right? That yes, maybe we'll get to the singularity at some point in time and there will be an AI that is capable of basically doing, you know, like exhibiting uniquely human skills just as well as, as a human does, right? We might get there at some point in time, but I suspect we're many years, if not decades away from that. And, but that doesn't mean that AI isn't good at other things. And I think where AI can really benefit go-to-market teams is around these kind of more menial, mundane, administrative tasks that, that an AI should, should be good at. And let me, just, let me just share an example that will help make this distinction. So imagine I have a sales call uh, with a prospect. And I, I specifically have a discovery call with that prospect. And I'm on the call as the salesperson, and I've been trained to conduct discovery a certain way. And I ask questions, and uh, the prospect responds to those questions and shares a bunch of useful, insightful information with me. At the end of that call, we, we hang up from that call. At the end of that call, there are a number of different things that that salesperson is expected to do just as a matter of best practice in a sales organization. So uh, one obvious thing they need to do is they need to update the CRM based on information that they receive from that buyer uh, or prospect. Another thing they need to do is they need to follow up with that prospect, right? You, you, a lot of people call this the recap email, for example. Another thing that the salesperson needs to do is they need to make decisions about uh, how they're going to interact with that prospect in the future to increase the odds of closing that deal. Like what, what moves are they going to make based on what they learned during the discovery call? There are probably other things that need to happen. Maybe you want to update your manager directly, things, things like that. But if we take, if we take those you know, sort of post-call activities that a salesperson needs to go execute on, they're quite time consuming, right? Like you think of the discovery calls, well, that took 60 minutes. You could imagine that those activities you need to follow up on now based on that call could actually take longer than 60 minutes. And so let's think about how AI can help in those different areas. So 
One thing the AI could do is absolutely update the CRM for me based on what the AI hears or reads on the transcript of that call. Um, maybe the AI could send me a message and say, hey, Scott, would you like to uh, you know, update the stage or the close date or the next step in the CRM based on anything you lear learned in the call? Maybe the AI could just do that automatically for me. So that's going to free up some time for me that, it, you know, I'd otherwise have to spend basically on like CRM hygiene, which is not necessarily a great use of a sales rep's time. Second thing I need to do is I need to send some type of recap email to that prospect that summarizes what we talked about, potential next steps, action items. You know, maybe I owe that person some content now. The AI can absolutely, I would say, draft that email for me again, based on what it sees in the transcript or in my meeting notes or whatever. In our view at Goldie, my, my company that's working on an AI co-pilot for sales reps, you know, we believe the AI should be a co-pilot in that setting, not the pilot. And the AI can help draft the email and, and I can approve it or make additional changes or whatnot. So there's an area where the AI can help. An area where the AI cannot help is um, in one of these uniquely human skills that I have as the salesperson, which is I heard things on that call which will allow me to sell more effectively to that prospect. And maybe there's some, again, some magical breakthrough in artificial intelligence in the next few years that allows an AI to do that just as well as I can do it, but I doubt it. You know, I wanna be listening for things that the buyer tells me that causes me to run a certain play, take a certain action, make a certain move that only I, as an experienced salesperson, am capable of determining. So, so hopefully that distinction makes sense, like these menial tasks or more menial tasks, but then these uniquely human skills that a lot of salespeople have. So I'll, I'll stop there. You know, I'm sure there are other examples, but I'll, I'll stop there because that, that was already a long-winded answer. But hopefully that distinction makes sense. That, that it does, it does, and and I I love how you define it as as uniquely human skills and and um, kind of thinking about those and that the fact that that is going to be very hard and it's going to take a while for it to be replaced by by AI. What about what about content creation? I mean, you you very briefly touched on it, and the email recap is an example of that, where there is a some some form of content that is generated. In the minds of a lot of, especially marketers, to some degree salespeople as well, it's like, hey, maybe now we could like crank up the content machine yeah. and just shoot it out. What are your thoughts on on content creation and, and AI? Yeah. Well, I think I personally think it's a problem. I mean, I mean, it's sort of it's funny. It's sort of ironic that I'm the CEO and co-founder of of an AI company because I do have these views that aren't always positive about AI. But, you know, my, my fear is that we're going to enter a phase where uh, creating undifferentiated content at basically zero cost is complete, is totally possible. And there, there are going to be marketers and salespeople who embrace that 100%. And they they may think they're doing it for the right reason. Like I hear a lot of people talk about, well, let's use AI to like crank out a bunch of SEO content, right? That just ranks ad nauseum on, you know, on a Google search page, right? And maybe there's a reason to do that. You know, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know. But, but 
you know, or, or the sales example is we're just going to like crank out a bunch of these emails and send them to lots of different people. And we're going to make them kind of look, per we're going to use AI to kind of personalize them and, and so forth. And so my fear is like, there's just this content tidal wave that's coming. And what's going to happen if you think about the implications of that is in the aggregate, that's actually going to turn buyers off right? Like buyers are already confused and annoyed by all of the emails and all of the content, right? And imagine we 100x that, which seems perfectly plausible. What is the buyer going to do? They're just going to turn off. I mean, why, why wouldn't you? That's, that's what I would do. Now, there is, there is a solution to this problem, in my opinion, which is these uniquely human skills. So marketers and salespeople who have the ability to create truly differentiated content that's unique, opinionated, real, authentic, right? I believe that that content will still stick out. And so in a sense, like, you know, I don't know how to apply this this content onslaught to the hype cycle, but I could imagine it might kind of look like that. Like we're gonna create all this content People are going to realize it doesn't really work. We're going to stop creating that content. And people with these uniquely human skills of being able to create genuine, authentic content are really going to stand out. And so will the brands that support that content. That's my, that's my hope. And I hope that along the way, you know, while we're going through this period where there's, there's this massive onslaught of content, like the people who are really good at creating unique, authentic content, they keep doing it. They don't lose that skill. That's, I don't think that will happen, but that, that's another fear that I have here. So, so yeah, I, I think content, we're, we're in for some real changes, but we end up in kind of the same place we are today, right? Which is if you're good at creating content, you, you stand out. I love that. I love that. And, and you know, I, we're, we're currently doing doing hiring and um, mm -hmm. and we have these CVs and, and kind of application letters that, that come in and I'm going through these. And it's exactly what you say. You know, you talked about buyers would be turned off. Some of them I read. And I'm like, this sounds it is customized, but it flows too smoothly, and I just I'm not completely sure if this is written by a person or it's uh, or it's an AI. And sometimes you could just tell some of the some of the I don't, I don't know I, maybe I've I've played around with ChatGPT too much that uh, some <laughs> things I can pick up and like I don't I don't know if this is uh, if this was r really written. And then we had to incorporate you got to shoot a two minute video and send it through. Um, oh, that's as that's part good. of uh, as part of the process, and then and then there are discrepancies, and you know some people are like, "Wow, that that CV looked really good," but the video really doesn't doesn't stack up. Um, that's a so great I, idea. I, I I love. I was just about to say, I, someone is going to invent or come up with some authenticity originality test, and that sounds like a good step in that direction. You know, when it comes to content, I'm a big believer in original, you know, like original thoughts. And that is one thing GPT and the other LLMs aren't good at. They're, they're just not good at it yet. They, they are good at sort of repackaging existing content um, that they've been trained on. But like you, you, can, you can see on places like LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, Twitter and Substack, like people, people who have really original thinking are uh, they really stand out already? 
Yeah, absolutely. And 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 we had this conversation before where you talked about the fact that uh, the 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 authentic voice is going to become even more valuable. Yep, that's a good way to put it. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that was, those are your words. Your words from our, from our previous conversation. <laughs> no, no wonder I agree with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and, and there are probably some interesting questions that sort of flow out of that statement, which is like, well, who's the authentic voice then? Right. Is it, is it founders? Is it CEOs? Is it marketers? Is it salespeople? Is it product people? It's probably all of the above. And, um, and how do you, how do you get people and enable people to have those authentic voices? Like that's a, I think that, I think the best companies will be really, really good at that in the future. Like we're going to enable our employees to, to share these authentic, genuine, original thoughts about the market, our customers, the product, the business, the brand, et cetera. Um, and, and, and I think certain companies are already good at that, right? Like, you know, if we take one in the tech industry, right? Like Apple is certainly good at that right now in the past, Apple has always had one person who, you know, Steve jobs, Tim cook, right? There was one person, Nike's another company that comes to mind that does a good job of that. So, so, so yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think companies should be really thinking about like, how do you empower those authentic voices inside of the business? What do you think is the best way or the best approach to identifying these could be areas, workflows, processes that AI can help? Because, you know, you, you, you provided one example, which I think is a, is a great example. And we know uh, all salespeople are going are gonna to be very, very open to uh, someone taking care of the CRM hygiene for them. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is, because I think one of the biggest challenges that uh, people have is like, you know, everybody keeps talking about AI, everyone keeps talking about ChatGPT and, and, and LLM and, and so on and so forth. But how did it, how the hell do I use it? Like, where do I put it to use? And, and I'm having difficulty like figuring that out. What is, what do you think? And that could be sales, that could be marketing. What do you think is the best approach of figuring out where I could kind of incorporate that it's not noise? And it's mm -hmm. actually going to get va give value today. What do you think is the best approach to kind of figuring that out for uh, for for people in the B two B space? Well, I think in in both marketing and sales, one place to start is by simply mapping. Um, I mean, I, by by simply mapping the process or workflows that you actively engage in as a marketing or sales sales organization. And then against those, against that, those processes or workflows, trying to identify points um, where AI could deliver an efficiency gain, right? And I think of that as like save time. So that example we talked about earlier, where it's, the AI is helping the sales rep after a sales call, some of that's in a, like update the CRM that's an efficiency gain, right? Like save time. So try to identify points where you can get an efficiency gain in a process or a workflow. The other, the second place you can go look is try and identify points in that process or workflow where you can get an effectiveness gain, which is 
we actually make the marketer or the salesperson more effective. And so you may think the AI helping me write the post-meeting follow-up recap email saved the rep time, probably did, but hopefully the AI actually wrote a really good email too. Again, the draft, the rep will look at it and edit it, but hopefully that allows the final product to be a better email and that actually increases the conversion rate you have with that prospect as a result of that. So I think of efficiency and effectiveness as two different things and sort of understanding what the points are in different workflows and processes where you can eke out an efficiency gain or deliver an effectiveness gain, like identify those points and then figure out, are there AI tools or products or whatever that can help with those different things like updating the CRM or writing an email or reminding me that, you know, I've got this stalled opportunity where there's been no activity for the last 60 days and an AI co-pilot reminds me of that and says, hey, Scott, let's send an email to these contacts that are in the CRM, right? Like there are all kinds of examples like that that exist in a typical marketing and sales organization. There's probably a third area you can look at as well, which is like, something is so complicated that it's really hard for a human to like get it done. Like I heard someone give an example this morning, like a lot of marketers still struggle to like set up campaigns in Marketo, for example. I don't know if that's true or not. That was this person's opinion. You might think, well, that's an area where an AI, man, if I could get the AI to like create campaigns for me in Marketo or help me create campaigns in Marketo, that would be great. That actually sounds terrific. I just don't believe AIs are there yet, right? Like we're, we're just not quite there yet. So look for those efficiency gains, look for those effectiveness gains. And, and at some point in the future, look for those areas where humans are just, it's just hard. And so humans struggle with it and maybe an AI can help, but we're, we're not there on number three yet, I don't think. Okay. Last question I want to ask before, before diving into some rapid fire questions is- okay. Other than other than Goldie, which uh, which I'm sure the team um, at Goldie are using and, and and kind of implementing, are there AI tools that you you've incorporated, you're using, um, the team is using? Is anything you know that uh, that you could you could share with uh, with the audience? <laughs> I, I I wish the answer was was yes. Certainly, our product team uses a variety of different AI tools on the product development side. On the go-to-market side, no, not really. I mean, our our go-to-market operation is we're an early stage business, you know, primarily focused on product development right now with a handful of what we call charter customers. And one of the approaches that we've taken as an early stage business, going back to the authenticity idea, is we really don't depend upon AI for any of our go-to-market efforts whatsoever. So, you know, when you see a piece of content from us, uh, when you get an email from us, that's something that that literally I wrote. I'm the only per- I'm the only person in the go-to-market organization right now. So maybe this is a good note that I should go look at some some of these tools and take them more seriously. But uh, no, we're not. And and that's that's not a knock on any of the AI tools that are out there. It's more a reflection of where we are as a business and the fact that like we're doing founder-led go-to-market marketing and sales, and we believe that like authenticity is a big part of that. Like I'll give you an someone asked me the other day. 
do you use recorded videos in your outreach efforts? And I, and I said, no, that would just feel really weird to me as a CEO and co-founder reaching out to a prospect with a recorded video. I feel like I feel like I need to send a personalized email with a hyper-personalized message and value proposition. I need to be the person on the first call, right? Like that's just where we are as a business. I love it. I love it. And and I think that is such a great lesson considering, you know, it's speaking to yourself, it's not like someone you, you're just starting your first company. Um, and um, I'll, I'll definitely encourage everyone to to look uh, Scott's background. Scott has sold companies to Gartner's uh, and, and started multiple companies, successful organizations and, and exited them. So and and I think that is such an important lesson to to take away where a lot of people are like, hey, how do I how do I kind of um, short circuit this? How do I how do I move fast here and, and uh, try to scale this? And and it's it's important not to do that, especially in the early early stages and, and to to maintain that authenticity of the of the brand. Absolutely. People throw around this term, you know, founder led sales all the time. Like and, and it just kind of comes across as like this throwaway term that everybody understands. It's actually real work. There's real skill there. If anybody ever wants to talk about it, let me know. I, I've been running that playbook across three different startups now to pretty good success. And, and it really comes down to just like one-to-one, personal, authentic, original, like people want to hear from founders. Why not take advantage of that? You have started to roll out your ABM strategy but you're starting to hit some roadblocks. You're finding everything extremely time-consuming and complicated. The technology landscape is baffling. Deployment support in your organization is non-existent. And to top things off, the sales team has no interest in participating. You know ABM can work for your business, but you're in desperate need of a push in the right direction. Chat to the APAC ABM experts at Xgrowth for a free consultation to help get you on the right track. For more information, check out xgrowth.com.au that's xgrowth.com.au and get back on track today scott let's do some rapid fire questions before we wrap okay. up all right I'm first excited. question first question i got is what is a resource this could be a book a blog a podcast whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way you work or, or live okay so i'll give you two examples one example is like Someone who I think a lot of people will have heard heard of, maybe they read a lot of his content, and that's Paul Graham, who's formerly a Y Combinator. He he was basically the founder of Y Combinator, which is remarkable in and of itself. But what's remarkable about Paul, and as well as a lot of the YC folks, is the clarity of thinking that they have around building early stage companies. It's it's really remarkable. I rarely read, and they do these kind of long form, Paul does these like long form posts that can take a while to get through, but they're worth it every time. I don't think I've ever read one of those posts and thought, oh, that was off base or not applicable. It's it's just like a total gold mine. So I think very highly of Paul and his writing, He's a very clear writer too. More generally, there's an economist in the United States here, his name's Tyler Cowen. And that's spelled C-O-W-E-N. And he is, he's just one of these, these like big thinkers who thinks across like a variety of different disciplines. 
economy, uh, the economy, uh, travel, business, philosophy, literature, like he, he is, he's unbelievable. And, you know, what I, what I learned from him is you don't really learn anything about startups or sales and marketing. You learn nothing about sales and marketing from him, but you learn about like curiosity, how humans work, how the human mind works, what's happening in the world. And I, I think that's really important for entrepreneurs. So those are, those are two people I like, I, I read everything that they write. So. Wow. Everything that that's, that's a big statement. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll that, that Paul Graham, of course, massive yeah. fan and uh, definitely going to check out Tyler Cohen as well. Second question. By the way, they just did a podcast together. So if you want to. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is, this is definitely going on the list now. Cool. Okay. Second question. Second question. If you could give one advice to people in the B2B space, now it could be marketers or salespeople, what would that be? I, I would say focus on, I, I, how do I put this? Focus makes it sound so clinical. It's, it's actually different than that. I would say spend as much time meeting with people in your market as you possibly can. And, you know, we're, we're so obsessed with all these advanced metrics and like, you know, technology and OKRs and all this stuff now. And I really believe that the key to being a good salesperson or a good marketer for that matter is to meet with as many people in, let's call it your target market. It doesn't have to literally be that, but to meet with as many people in your target market as possible and just meet them. And you don't even have to try and sell them anything. You, you, you can just like, yeah, just meet them. And good things happen. Like my last business was this company called Topo, as you mentioned, acquired by Gartner. The key to that business was my co-founder, Craig Rosenberg and I, we had this weekly meeting objective where we each had to meet with five people in the market every week. So we met with 10 people every week, no matter what. Some of those people became customers. Some of those beca people became customers two years later. Some of those people referred us to future customers. Some of those people became employees. Some of those people referred us to people who became employees. Like I can think of, you know, across the hundreds of different meetings we had in those first few years, I can think of like, I don't know, two or three meetings that were a waste of time. Like every meeting was a good meeting, like something came of it. So I, you know, I, I guess some people would just call that networking. I think of it as like, no, have a weekly meeting target and go get the meetings and good things will happen. That is so good. And I've heard this story and Craig's talked about it. I've, I've, I yeah. have, I have. And he's like, look, man, I met with engineers and I met with, you know, it would, they weren't really marketing or sales sometimes. And I thought it, it was just such a fascinating, um, simple, simple, but fascinating and effective uh, concept. So uh, thank you yep. for, for bringing that up again. Third question is, and maybe, maybe this is not different, but the third question is, who are some of the influencers and thought leaders that you follow in your space? And we talked about yeah. Paul Graham uh, and Tyler Cohen. Is there, is there, does anyone else come to mind? Yeah, well, we, we could probably narrow it down to like, you know, say, uh, like, like go to market folks, like, like Paul and Tyler are not necessarily go to market specific. So, you know, when I think of, go to market people that I, that I really admire and respect. 
I certainly think of Craig, uh, who, who, who was my co-founder. I mean, he, he is like the beautiful mind of B2B sales and marketing, I think. Like, and, and I got to sit next to him for, you know, 15 years during my career and watch him work and like, just watch how brilliant he is in, in that regard. And so Craig, he's, he used to be known as the funnel holic. I don't know if he's still known as that, but he had, you know, he had this blog and these accounts called the funnel, you know, Twitter accounts and so forth called the funnel holic. I think he does really excellent work in terms of how he thinks about practical B2B sales and marketing. Someone that I've, I've only recently started to follow is Sam Jacobs at Pavilion. I think he does an, an ex, he's the founder and CEO of Pavilion. I find his thinking on startups and sales and marketing to be, he, he, he likes to tell these personal stories. He, he, I think he primarily uses LinkedIn. He likes to tell these personal stories about things that he's experienced in his career. They, they really resonate with me because he doesn't sugarcoat it. It becomes really clear how hard this stuff is and it is hard, right? And and there's there's always like this super clear thought that you get to at the end with with his posts and his thinking. So uh, that's a that's another person that I that I think very highly of. Really appreciate that. Both of those, Craig Rosenberg. Um, for anyone who's listening, we've yeah. we've had Craig multiple times on the podcast. Um, definitely check check him out. Last thing, last thing is what is something that excites you about B two B today? <laughs> that's a that's a, that's actually a tough question. Oh, I thought um, it would be very very straightforward, but okay, let's let's do this. No, 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 no. Let let's let's see let's see if I can if I can answer this question. So you know, going back to that thought around these uniquely human skills, I I feel like we we kind of went through call it a twelve year period where we automated the heck out of everything. We threw a bunch of data at marketing and sales. We put in these governance frameworks that, you know, govern everything. We, we adopted new methodology. Like we, we just like threw the book at sales and marketing. We threw everything we had at sales and marketing. And we did that in the name of trying to improve productivity, I think. Right. And it's, it's not clear to me that it worked, right? Like, in fact, I think you could make the argument that it didn't work, right? Like if I look on the sales side of, of B2B, I think you can make an argument that salespeople are less productive in spite of the fact we threw everything we had at them in the name of in, improving productivity. And so one of the things that I get excited about is I actually believe that we're at this interesting inflection point in B2B sales and marketing where we did all that. And maybe whether it worked or not isn't really relevant anymore. It's sort of like, you know, that's water under the bridge. We did all that. Um, we learned a lot in doing that. And now we're at this point where maybe we can take a step back and say, what are the things that really, really matter in B2B sales and marketing? And with AI arriving, can we focus on those things that, that really matter? And a lot of this stuff that's distracted us for the last 12 or so years, we're just going to give that to these co-pilots, assistants, tools, whatever, right? And we're going to, my, my hope is we would enter a world where creativity matters. Again, sorry, I'm like a broken, authenticity, originality. These are the things that get rewarded 
in B2B sales and marketing. And these are the things that our, our prospects respond to, our customers respond to. And as a result of that, there's kind of like a, I don't know, like this, cre this, this creativity boom in the world of B2B sales and marketing. Maybe that's pie in the sky, like I, you know, who who knows? But that that would be my hope that um, we we enter a world where uniquely human skills, creativity, original thought, really booms and and is rewarded. That's something I could get excited about. Scott, this has been an awesome conversation, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've learned a lot. I've taken a lot of notes here. And, uh, and there are a bunch of things I'm going to be following up. And I'm sure it's the same thing with, for, for the listeners. But um, just want to say again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's been great. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you, Shaheen. Great to be here. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.